This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. This is Matt Woodley, editor of PreachingToday.com on Monday Morning Preacher. I'm here with our guest host, Kevin Miller. Great to be with you, Matt. Our sister brand to PreachingToday.com, Church Law and Tax, is conducting a national church compensation survey, and they could use your help. By participating, you'll be publishing fair standards for pastors and church workers, and that'll give churches the opportunity to set fair standards for pay and benefits. They'll even give you a sweet reward for filling out the survey. So check it out at cltsurvey.com slash 2017. So Kevin, I've been preaching regularly, almost regularly, for about 25 years yeah. now. Rough estimate, I've probably preached nearly 1,500 sermons so far in my career. Wow. That's a lot. Well, I've learned a few things. Uh, I've definitely discovered some of my strengths and weaknesses as a preacher, and it's given me some time to think about and work on my weaknesses. Such as? Well, let's dive into some of my biggest weaknesses, why don't we? Guess what? I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. No, don't. Sue me. That's the opposite of the point. Okay, okay. So our guest preacher today is Michael Scott from The Office. You know, I might get him as my next guest host, so you better watch out. You know, he might have some good things to say. <laughs> so seriously, over the years, I've there's one area of weakness that I've struggled with that I've been working on really hard over the last two, three years, and I think I'm making some progress. And I don't think I'm alone in this, and that's the whole area of application, applying the sermon. And after coaching a lot of preachers, I think it's a struggle for a lot of preachers. Well, yeah, I think because, you know, if you want to preach, it's because you love the book. You love studying the Bible and doing the exegesis work. And and then if you start preaching, you very quickly learn, if I don't capture people's attention right away, I'm in trouble. So you, you work on the hook, you work on the intros, and you kind of craft those. But I think both in terms of training, you don't get a lot of training in application. And in preparing a sermon, most preachers are not giving as much time to the application. That's why we need good models of preachers who know how to do application very well. Yeah, so who, who do we have today? Well, today we got a master preacher, John Ortberg, who gave a masterful sermon called The Fourth Man in the Furnace, based on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Now, it's probably a 35, 40-minute sermon, but the last 10 to 11 minutes are pretty much application. And he talks about facing furnaces in your life, and then he keeps repeating this phrase over and over again, God will meet you in your furnace. God will meet you in your furnace. And so it's very beautifully done. And then we pick up at the very end of the sermon here. What Jesus basically said to people was, follow me, and you're going to have a great big God and outrageous joy, and you're going to be in trouble all the time. And they followed him, and they followed him by the hundreds and by the thousands and by the tens of thousands. They followed the same path that he walked on. They followed him through servanthood. They followed him through sacrificial generosity. They followed him to community. They followed him to suffering. They followed him to persecution. They followed him to death. Do you understand 
that we're here tonight in this room because, and this is a matter of historical fact, of simple historical record, because throughout history, hundreds and thousands of ordinary men and women, most of whom are long since forgotten, names and faces that will never be remembered in this world, said that they were willing to go to the furnace. They love God that much. They said, I'll suffer. I will give everything for you. I'll die. And when they did, and when their final moment came, which it will for you, when that moment came, then they knew. Mustn't despair. God did not forget them or overlook them or abandon them. God said to them what he said to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, what he said to Stephen, who was the very first follower of Christ to be martyred, what he said to Paul and Peter, who were persecuted and beaten and jailed and probably martyred as well. What he said to Corey Ten Boom and Martin Luther King and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. What he said to Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta. What he says to his followers still in China and Albania and Cabrini Green and maybe, just maybe, to somebody tonight in South Barrington. I'll meet you in the furnace. I'll meet you in the furnace. If you dare. If you dare. I'll meet you in the furnace. This is your day, friends. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had their day. Daniel had their day. Stephen had his day. Peter and Paul had their day. Corey Ten Boom had her day. This is your day. Your final moment's going to come. I don't know what furnace you're facing. I don't know what this means for you. I just know who will meet you there. Wow, that was powerful. What stood out to you, Matt? Well, the main thing that John wants to do here is he's he's not giving more biblical knowledge, theological truths. He wants people to experience the truth of this passage right now in the midst of their furnaces. So the the Word of God is being activated now in people's hearts and lives. And so there's a lot of urgency and expectancy in John's application. Yeah, I think one way that comes through is that John, as a white Presbyterian, almost sounds like a black Baptist with his use of repetition. You know, he'll say, they followed, they followed, they followed, or or what he said to this person, what he said to that person, what he said to this person, or he'll say, they had their day, they had their day, they had their day, now it's your day. He uses vocal, verbal repetition to just increase the emotional intensity and the sense that this applies right to me. Yes, really well said. And uh, speaking of African-American preaching, I've been to E.K. Bailey for a couple years and cutting it straight and uh, really been immersed in the African-American preaching tradition. And I got to say, a lot of African-American preachers do that really well. And it's been uh, a real learning experience for me. They, They really understand that craft of just driving that truth home in a very beautiful and poetic way. So how do we learn from them and other great preachers like Ortberg and, and, and do this application better? Yeah, well, there's a lot to it, obviously. But let's just look at three really simple principles of application. Wait, you have a plan? I have an outline. It's a three-point <laughs> podcast. So point number one, aim for transformation, not more information. You know, I've seen a lot of preachers. I'm tempted to do this myself. I'm sure you've seen this coaching younger preachers. You get to the end of the sermon and people try to, I call it, they try to smuggle in another point. Okay, (laughs) I've totally done that. Yeah, it's like, and I tell preachers, look, you had 20, 30, 40 minutes, however long you preach, you had your best shot. You're done now. You're done giving information. 
Now you're aiming for transformation, not just information. You know, one thing that's helped me in that regard is uh, reading Andy Stanley's book, Communicating for a Change. He just finally really got through my thick skull that one idea per sermon, one. And what I found, though, the joy of that was it meant that I could really do satisfying biblical exposition of that one idea in less amount of time than it took to do Hmm. two, three, or four ideas. And therefore, it gave me more time to do this kind of application and transformation work. Okay, so principle number two, diversify your applications. What do you mean by that? Well, they don't all have to sound alike. I think sometimes preachers get into a rut. Like, uh, say, for instance, every single sermon has one specific action step. Now, I think that's great sometimes. Like, sometimes you'll say, this week I want to challenge everybody to spend five minutes every day reading one chapter out of the book of Proverbs. Very specific. That's a good application. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you might want to just throw out a question and let it linger there. Let it kind of stew. Let people think about it. You might want to give a story. You might want to give an image. Sometimes it may be more about implication rather than a really specific application. So diversify your application. Have different ways to conclude your sermon. Yeah, I remember one time I was preaching from Psalm 148, which is a psalm of praise, and I thought, I'm not going to tell people to praise the Lord more. We're going to do it together. So Mm. one of our musicians wrote a song based on that psalm, and at the end of my sermon, I said, we're going to stand right now. We're going to sing this song and live into what this psalm invites us to do. And I think people like that because it's not like one more thing than they have to do. Yeah, that's really good. So Aim for transformation, diversify your applications, and number three is avoid heresy in your application. Well, I'm glad you told me that, Matt, because otherwise I would have inserted a lot of heresy. What are you talking about? (laughs) Well, Haddon Robinson once said, and I think very wisely he said, and I quote, more heresy is preached in application than in biblical exegesis. I do remember that. Yes. And so what do you think he meant by that? I did ask Haddon one time about that, and and here's what he meant is that it's easy to take the thus saith the Lord of the biblical principle and apply that level of authority or weight to a variety of pastoral applications, some of which are definite, like love your neighbor, some of which are probable, and, and some are not possible. So he gave this example from his own preaching. He had preached one time a sermon about husbands and wives, I think it was from Ephesians 5 or maybe First Peter, and he said something about wives, you ought to make your husband's breakfast, you know, and something like that. It was something simple and domestic. And it came across as though this is thus saith the Lord. Well, that's not in Paul's text. That is one possible application in some settings, but, you know, so we just need to be more careful to not overweight things that God has not said. It sounds like you're also suggesting as preachers, we need to be clear about what level of authority we are laying on people with our application. We need to be upfront about that. This, yeah, like, to... I think that kind of signaling is really important, and we see it in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul will say, I have this on authority from the Lord, command from the Lord, or sometimes he'll say, you know, I don't have a command from the Lord, I'm just speaking as one that I think is worthy of trust, and I, I, I hope that you will take this to heart. So I think we need to do more of that clarification. Sure. Well, I actually have an application to preachers about application. Well, you are the gold star student today. I told you I've been working on this. Okay. Okay. And one application to preachers is, just preachers, I just really encourage you to see the beautiful opportunity that you have in Mm. your application. It's hard work. It's risky. Yeah. uh, It takes time. You need to be really intentional. You need to be really prayerful. But it's a wonderful moment in your sermon and in the worship service where you get to take the truth of Scripture 
And then with a pastor's authority and a shepherd's love, you bring the Word of God right into where people live and, and into their homes and into the lives of your people. And that is an incredible privilege yeah. and responsibility and really a beautiful moment between a pastor and his or her people. So thanks for joining us on Monday Morning Preacher. And by the way, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, some facet of preaching that you're struggling with or that you'd like us to uh, dive into, send it our way. We'd be happy to consider it. Send your thoughts and your ideas to editor at preachingtoday.com. Our sister brand to PreachingToday.com, Church Law and Tax, is conducting a national church compensation survey, and they could use your help. By participating, you'll be publishing fair standards for pastors and church workers, and that'll give churches the opportunity to set fair standards for pay and benefits. They'll even give you a sweet reward for filling out the survey. So check it out at cltsurvey.com slash 2017. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.